Hi, hello, and welcome to this episode of The Lives and Styles of Old Hollywood. Today is a very special episode for me. It is about Gloria Swanson, and it is special because I worked through her autobiography, which is rather long. It's got about 450 pages, and it's chock full of information. So this episode today is really juicy. It's rather long, and there's a lot of information on Gloria Swanson on it that I haven't found on the internet. So I hope you do enjoy what I have to present to you today, because Gloria Swanson is just absolutely fascinating. Gloria Swanson is one of the greatest actresses of old Hollywood. She has seen this medium flourish from its beginnings on the East Coast, its transition to Los Angeles. She's been part of the studio system. She got exploited by it. She broke free. She had immense successes and she had immense failures. And she had a fulminant comeback at the age of 51. She was nominated not only at the first Academy Awards, she was also nominated for her first talkie. And she was nominated for her comeback role as Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard. But that, it seems, is not even half the story of this woman's extraordinary life. So, as usual, let's start at the beginning. Gloria May Josephine Swanson was born on March 27 in 1899 in Chicago, Illinois. And this means she's an Aries, as she would often point out in her autobiography, Swanson on Swanson. She was an only child to parents Adelaide and Joseph Theodore Swanson. Her father was in the U.S. Army and thus the family often moved from military base to military base. Her stay in Puerto Rico, when she was 11 years old, was probably the most impressing and forming for Swanson. There, she learned about the Spanish culture, a vibrant way of living. She made many connections and experiences that would last a lifetime. She also saw her first motion picture there. But that one was crude. It was flashed in a white sheet with not much going on, actually, from a storyline. Gloria was not impressed, and she decided then and there to never ever watch another one. Gloria's initial ambition was to become an opera singer when she performed in Puerto Rico in the play An American Girl at the age of 13. When she returned to the US after her stay in Puerto Rico, she would often be called Cuban princess by the New Yorkers, and some actually believed her to actually be a princess. She was the center of attention often and always. She had clear, very light blue eyes, light skin with a mole on her left chin, and dark, almost black hair, and she always wore clothes that were different. Her mother made them for her, and Gloria stood out from the crowd from an early age onwards, because her mother wanted her to be different, to be unique. When Gloria was scheduled to meet her friend Medora Crimes in Staten Island, which is a very wealthy family from there, her mother would come up with the most distinctive, elegant wardrobe ever to make Gloria look like she fit in in the crowd. And exactly during that time, her aunt Inga, well, she was not really her aunt. She was the sister-in-law of the brother of Gloria's mother, so a very distant kind of aunt. So Inga visited them, and she was a trained nurse for wealthy families. She made a good living, she lived life, she smoked, and she knew interesting people. 
And one of those interesting people was Mr. Spore. He was the owner of SNA Studios in Chicago. And he had invited Inga to visit the studio lot. And Inga invited Gloria to tag along with her. And so 15-year-old Gloria did, clad in one of the Staten Island outfits. When Inga and Gloria were shown around the studio, the casting director from SNA asked her for her number and her name because he was always interested in new faces. And Gloria blamed it on the great new outfit. And indeed, Gloria was called and she reported for work at the studio the next day. She was an extra for a wedding scene. And at a later day, she was an extra in the backdrop of a swanky restaurant scene. But watching the other extras, Gloria decided to not pursue this career. And she let them know the next time they phoned. She did not want to be part of the craziness, the makeup, the easy girls. And she left as scheduled for Staten Island to meet Medora Crimes. But her mother sent her a letter in which SNA informed Gloria that they would offer her up to $20 a week if she acted full time. And in today's money, that would be around $600 per week without any education whatsoever. So for Gloria, that was a lot of money and a way out of school, which she hated because of her father and the moving they had to do from base to base. She had transferred so many times from school to school. She was academically behind and not interested anyways. So the money she would earn by being an extra in movies would make it possible for her to finally take the singing lessons to become an opera singer just as she had always wanted. And as at the same time World War I was erupting, everything in the world was so uncertain that her mother did not keep her from pursuing acting. So Gloria went back home to Chicago and became a full-time actress. In the days at SNA, Gloria worked with many actors that would become famous. Some of them would be Charlie Chaplin, Francis X. Bushman, Wallace Beery and Gerda Holmes. It is reported that Gloria was accompanied by her mother when she went to California, but it was a bit different. So Gloria's father was stationed in Manila and on their way there, Mother Adelaide suggested a stop in California as her father had recently died and left quite some money to her. SNA was very sorry to hear that Gloria would leave for California But she was given the number of Mac Sennett and a letter of introduction. And she wrote Wallace Beery, who had moved there earlier that year, to ask where to stay in California. On the travels to California, Gloria learned that her mother wanted to divorce her father. So, once in California, Gloria went to Keystone Studios, the studio of Mac Sennett. And there she started her first great success. And that was opposite Bobby Vernon and directed by Clarence G. Batcher. She starred in a series of very short comedies, which the audiences loved. But when Sennett sold Keystone Studios to Triangle Pictures, all actors were sold as well, except for Gloria, who was on the personal contract to Sennett. And he made her do comedies that she did not want to be a part of. She left the company. Her contract ripped by Max Sennett himself. When director John Conway saw her in Culver City when she went to see Clarence Batcher to see whether Triangle might have a job for her, he hired her for a film. 
Gloria had learned a lot at SMA and even more at Keystone Studios. But working with Conway made her a real actress. He challenged her and he taught her all the details about acting and filmmaking. He did her decision and You Can't Believe Everything in 1918 with Gloria. Triangle had decided on making her a star and she was clad in the most fashionable couture gowns shot in close-ups. Although she never received a contract from Triangle, she received a raise to $15 a week, which was sadly later legally interpreted as contractual binding. It was sad because due to this legal situation, Swanson had to step down from a great opportunity. When Swanson was approached by famous players Lasky to star in a Cecil B. The Mill movie, she was not allowed to accept the offer, as she was still under contract to Triangle. One year later, though, Triangle was in such financial distress that they released her from a contract and she was finally free to make Don't Change Your Husband with Cecil B. DeMille. Working with DeMille was a whole other world for Swanson. Because DeMille was a whole other world. He put attention to every single detail. The flowers were real, violins were playing in the background during filming, the air was scented and... DeMille made all the actresses pick out real jewelry themselves at the beginning of filming so they would act as if they owned them. And DeMille taught Gloria how to look at the rushes, meaning the raw footage from the day, and how to objectively decide what was good and what was bad in her acting. She became a glamorous actress under his direction, with expensive taste, and finally she got a contract with famous players Lasky at the end of 1918, with a salary of $150 a week, which would automatically increase to $350 a week within two years. Swanson made six movies with DeMille, and he was one of the greatest influences on her artistic life, and he made her a star. As the lion's bride in The, uh, the Admirable Christian, Gloria Swanson filmed with real lions, for example, and one lion even put his paw on her bare back. And guess what? This silent movie is still available on YouTube if you want to watch it. I will link it down in the show notes. After the immense success of Male and Female by The Mill, Paramount, or better said, Jesse Lasky, looked for the perfect scriptwriter for Swanson, and he found it in England. It was Eleanor Clinton. Clint came to Hollywood and took Swanson under her wings. And as I pointed out in the episode on Eleanor Kling, she had developed a whole persona for Hollywood, like mystic with rugs and Buddhas and tiger skins all over her Hollywood hotel suite. She wrote The Great Moment for Swanson, which became huge. And Clint and Swanson along with it. Next was Beyond the Rocks, starring Swanson and Valentino, directed by Sam Wood with a script by Eleanor Klein. Swanson and Valentino actually had known each other for quite some time. They had gotten to know each other from Sunday horse riding outings and they had become friends but never romantic lovers. All the Swanson movies followed a certain success formula, which was a romantic comedy of marriage and intrigue laced with a series of handsome leading men and a never-ending parade of fabulous gowns. That doesn't sound too bad for me, to be quite honest. When 24-year-old Swanson was furious about how Paramount had handled her separation and divorce from husband number two, Herbert Somborn, 
she relocated to New York and filmed Sasa with Alan Dwan. Then Swanson wanted to make a movie in Paris, Madame Zangene, a collaboration between the US and France, in order to be able to film the material at the original settings like Napoleon's desk and his palaces. The Parisians were proud and they welcomed Gloria Swanson wildly and Madame Zangene proved to be a huge success in Europe. In the US, unfortunately, the film was cut very short and out of context. Swanson started to loathe the Hollywood studio system and she loathed being a star in it because the studio actually owned her and also because they heavily interfered with her personal life. And that's why she turned down a $1 million a year contract with Paramount, as famous players Lasky was renamed by them. And that would be roughly $17 million today. Instead, Gloria Swanson joined United Artists as a producer. United Artists was actually a distribution company, and each partner produced his or her own pictures through their own companies. And United Artists loaned money for production via the Art Cinema Corporation, which then were calculated against what the movie made. Reasoning being, stars needed to have more say and get more money at the end of the movie, and not the middlemen like managers and directors, like at Paramount or other studios. And that's why all the members at United Artists were actually high profile as was Gloria Swanson when she joined United Artists, because she was then the most bankable star of the time. The first film she did for United Artists was The Love of Sonia, which was not a great success. You could say it was what Swanson had to go through to learn what it meant to produce, because basically everything went wrong during the filming. The film was a success, it didn't do bad, but it only broke even on the costs. Her next movie, though, was Sadie Thompson, which was based on W. Somerset Mom's Miss Thompson, as well as on a Broadway play, Rain. This time, Gloria Swanson partnered with director Raoul Walsh. The problem with this movie? Well, Rain, the Broadway play based on the original book, was banned by the Hays Code, because the Hays Code had come into effect shortly before due to the Fatty Arbuckle scandal. And Cemetery was simply banned and all studios had agreed not to use it. Also, this book is about a prostitute and it depicts a clergyman in a rather unfavorable light. Both things that the Hays Code forbade. Nevertheless, Swanson made it possible and outsmarted all the other studios who would have loved to film the material. First, she got a verbal agreement with Hayes, like the actual person, Hayes, <laughs> who was heading the office. And secondly, she changed the clergyman in the story to simply a faithful gentleman. And the nature of Sadie Thompson being a prostitute was treated with very good taste, which actually would be allowed according to the Hayes Code. So the other studios urged United Artists and Hayes to stop production because they knew this would be a great movie. And it was, because they weren't able to stop Gloria Swanson. So in the end, Swanson was nominated for the first annual Academy Award for her role in Sadie Thompson. 
Sadly, though, she did not win. Unfortunately, though, by the end of that same year, Swanson was in financial distress with hardly any money in the bank. Because although Sadie Thompson was a massive success, the revenue came way back too slow to offset her loan and her debt from Art Cinema Corporation. This situation led Swanson to engage Joseph Kennedy Sr. as her financial advisor. And yes, it is the Joseph Kennedy Sr., so the dad of JFK. So Mr. Kennedy made clear to Gloria that everybody had taken advantage of her and that all her affairs are in a mess and that he would take her affairs into his hands. And he did, and he changed it all. He dissolved her production company, let go of most of his staff. He set up a dummy company in Delaware. He sold all the rights of Sonia and Sadie Thompson to Paramount and made her husband the European director of Pâté in Paris. Pâté was a company that Kennedy had already bought. From that point onwards, Kennedy was responsible for Swanson's finances and he was in charge. He had offered to finance her next movie and looked for the perfect material. And that was The Swamp, (laughs) which was later renamed to Queen Kelly. And it was a thorough disaster. Kennedy, who badly wanted to make it big in Hollywood and who had created RKO, wanted Erich von Stroheim as a director. And that decision proved fatal. Von Stroheim was difficult to work with and filming took way too long. At the end, von Stroheim was fired and Gloria and Kennedy tried with different directors to finish it, but it was not a good movie in the end and was shelved. With the advent of sound, new possibilities arose. Because in 1927, the jazz singer came out and introduced sound to the movies. Swanson also made her first talkie to Trespasser in 1929. She came up with the original story together with director Edmund Golding and Laura Hope Cruz, who was a friend of Golding. And the script was finished within a month. Shooting was wrapped within 21 days. And it was a tremendous success as Gloria Swanson proved her singing, talking and acting skills all at once. And as she had wanted to become an opera singer when she was a kid, her singing definitely was good. So good even that audiences doubted that it was really her. And so she had to sing live in London at a premiere to prove her skills. The Trespasser was an enormous success. But Swanson's financial situation was worse than ever. Because her financial advisor, Kennedy, had taken everything from her, basically. So, Gloria relocated to Europe to be near her family because her kids were there in boarding school and she founded Gloria Swanson British Productions, which only managed to produce one movie. And that was Perfect Understanding with Laurence Olivier before it was shut down again. Actually, although her transition to sound was successful, Gloria's career started to decline. There was talk about her starring in an adaptation of Eleanor Clint's Three Weeks for MGM, But before that one materialized, Irving Torberg, who had initiated the deal, passed away. Before she could get another deal, she decided that she had had enough of the studio system and the man controlling her life and moved to New York at age 39. It would take almost 12 years for her to return to the screen. In the meantime, she focused on radio and stage work. 
Actually, she never wanted to act on stage. But in 1941, writer-producer Harold Kennedy approached her and challenged her to play in Summerstock and not on Broadway, to try it small and see whether she liked it. And she did like it. And thus she appeared in several productions throughout the next four years. In 1948, Gloria was interviewed by Jimmy Chimail for the launch of the daily news television station, WPIX, and was offered her own weekly television show, which she did for six months. After that, she was offered an audition, the only audition in her whole entire life. And it was the one for the role of Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard had originally been written with Mae West in mind and it was offered to other actresses like Mary Pickford and Norma Shearer before George Cooker suggested Gloria Swanson for the role. It became a hit and Sunset Boulevard has been included along with 24 other films to be preserved in the permanent collection of the National Film Registry of the Library of Congress as culturally, historically and aesthetically pleasing. After that movie, Swanson was offered many roles, but most of them were Norma Desmond duplicates, and she simply refused them. She focused on her art. Gloria was an avid artist, painter, and sculptor. She did sculptures after working on movies in the evenings. She did them of her kids and of her husbands, and she painted throughout her lifetime. When she was done with her career in Hollywood, she focused on her art solely. In 1978, Prine de Gus asked Gloria to have a show of her sculptures, which was a raving success. And based on this, she was commissioned to design the UN stamp honoring the UN Decade for Women, which was 1976 to 1985. She also worked as a roving journalist for United Press and covered, amongst other things, the wedding of Grace Kelly and Prince Rainier of Monaco. Back in the States, she hosted many radio and television shows, just like the one she had hosted earlier, and she became host to Crown Theatre by Bing Crosby's television production company. She also appeared in many talk shows, as well as in TV drama and comedy series, as well as on Broadway again in several plays. Her last role was Airport 1975, in which she basically played herself. She died on April the 4th in 1983 from a heart ailment. So that is the life of Gloria Swanson. But what about style and fashion? So in her autobiography, Swanson writes, By the time I was 15, my mother had turned me into a real clothes horse. As I had lined out before, Swanson was used to having unique clothes. Her mother had designed and sewn them. And the mill and Paramount had made sure that Gloria always had the most lavish and grandest outfits. And Swanson had worked intimately with the likes of Edith Hatt and René Hubert. And after that, she usually designed her own outfits and got them made by tailors. She was voted number one on the list of best-dressed women and best-dressed women fashion professionals in 1950, in 1951, when she was already 50 years old. She was always a trendsetter with her movies, and she got awarded the Neyman Marcus Award for Distinguished Service in the Field of Fashion in 1950. Just for this very occasion, Swanson had designed a whole new wardrobe and got complimented for it by Edward Marcus. 
The fashion show that was taking place during the award show showed also Gloria Swanson designs without her knowing, because Marcus had been so impressed. After this, Gloria Swanson signed with Puritan Fashions, which was not a house of haute couture, but this one catered towards the stout women of America. Gloria Swanson worked with them for over 20 years to make fashion fashionable for the stout women. And when she left, she had a contract that guaranteed her yearly payments until her death, which is a sweet deal, to be quite honest. Another thing which is really to point out about Gloria Swanson is her health nuttiness. She was a health advocate. It was during the time that Gloria Swanson filmed Sadie Thompson that she got serious stomach pains and she went to see Dr. Henry Chi Beeler in Pasadena. His approach to health, according to Swanson herself, was the following. There are not thousands of physical disorders, only one. Toxemia. And if we eat simple, natural food in modest amounts, our wonderful bodies will heal themselves naturally. So at age 28, back then, during Sadie Thompson, Swanson subscribed to this and never wavered. That was her style of living. In 1944, when she was 45 years old, she became a fanatic about healthy food, when spraying crops with insecticides in the US became common practice. When, in 1947, she had a tumor diagnosed in her uterus, she was urged to have a complete hysterectomy. But instead, Gloria went to Dr. Beeler and he advised her to starve the tumor of proteins. And she did so successfully and the tumor went away. So she was convinced this is the only way to live and she lived according to Beeler for the rest of her life. Her love for health and nutrition is also what she shared with husband number six. Let's stay with husband number six. So Gloria Swanson had been married six times. Divorce is basically hereditary in Gloria Swanson's family. Her grandmother had already divorced her husband and married again, and so did Gloria Swanson's parents. So she was no stranger to divorce, and she did it too, several times, five times to be exact. Who are the different husbands? Who were the love interests of Gloria Swanson? This is like a choosy part of her life. So husband number one was actor Wallace Beery, Gloria and Wallace met in the earliest days at SNI, even before she worked for the studio. But nothing happened, except for Wallace trying very hard. Gloria was not particularly fond of him. But when they met again in California, Wallace, or Wally as he was called, seemed a changed man. He was easy, talented, well acquainted with people in Hollywood, he was smooth, and he was proposing his love for Gloria, then only 16. They married within two weeks of the proposal on Gloria Swanson's 17th birthday, with the wedding night being one of the worst moments of Gloria's life. Wallace Beery basically raped her, forcing himself on her. Important notice at this point, Gloria had no clue about reproduction and sex, as most girls growing up during that time and age. So after about a month, Gloria became pregnant. But when Wally found out about the pregnancy, he got her abortion pills from the pharmacy and gave them to her, unbeknownst to Gloria. The last thing Gloria remembers after the pills was Wallace's mother staring at her taking the pills. 
Then Gloria passed out, awoke us the hospital and found out that she had lost a baby. Gloria left Wallace then and there on the spot. The next love for Gloria Swanson was Craney Guards. In the early days at Triangle, when Gloria Swanson had just finished Don't Change Your Husband with the Mill, she got to know Pasadena millionaire Crane Gartz, heir to the Crane Plumbing Millions. Side note, the Gartz Court is one of the oldest remaining buildings in Pasadena and had been commissioned by his mother Kate Crane Gartz. So Crane Gartz, or Craney Gartz, was a dashing, handsome, witty young man, knowing full well that he could have any woman in the world. But when Gloria rejected his advances, he got even more interested in her. They had an on-again, off-again romance, did cap gossip magazines and the audiences guessing. Gloria enjoyed it tremendously because Guards was fun. But she had made it clear that she wanted to be married to sleep with him. And he did not want to. They actually did not trust each other. Craney believed deep down that Gloria just wanted to marry him for the money. And she wanted to be married to avoid scandal in order not to be ruined if it did not work out with him. So they did part ways. In came husband number two, Herbert Somborn. These two met when Gloria was dining out with her roommate Bea Laplante and her father. Somborn was in pictures and had his own studio, which was called Equity Pictures Corporation, which also distributed films by Clara Kimball Young, another great star of old Hollywood. Somborn seemed calm, collected and business savvy, advising Gloria on her contracts with Paramount. But living with him at the expense of Alexandria Hotel in Los Angeles, Gloria soon learned that he was not rich and that she footed the bills. Gloria got pregnant though, and she birthed a healthy girl, and she named her Gloria. Gloria Swanson never felt passion for Herbert, never really loved him, but she felt safe and secure with him. But when Gloria learned about the extent of Somborn's financial problems, she felt more unsafe and insecure than ever before at his side, and she became completely indifferent to him. She had married him without knowing him, and she was more in search of a father figure than as a partner in life. Herbert left Gloria. And although Gloria was entitled to a divorce due to abandonment, Chessie Lasky did not let her. It was amidst the Fatty Arbuckle scandal and Hollywood wanted to prove that they were clean and happy and just not scandalous. So quite some time later, Gloria received divorce papers from Herbert on the grounds of adultery on her side with 14 men, which did not happen. She did not cheat on him and Somborn blackmailed her. The worst? Gloria was not allowed to fight in court and she had to pay him the money because Lusky and Dimmel demanded her to do so with the help of lying and deceiving her. Also, her new contract with Paramount included a morals clause that wanted to ensure that nothing scandalous would happen with the stars of the studios. So that marriage was done and dusted. In came Mickey Nealon. Gloria actually met Mickey the night she said yes to Herbert Somborn's proposal. Mickey introduced himself with the words, I'm going to marry you. I want you to get my name on your list. And Mickey was fun. He was Mary Pickford's director. He was the one who had made all her famous movies. And he was one of the most sought after directors of the time. He actually became Gloria's first real 
love affair after she and Herbert parted ways. And she was having great fun and she loved Mickey like she had never loved anyone before. But when Mickey's career slipped, she got to see the real person. He was desperate. He was drinking too much. Aware that she would be still married for a year to Herbert, she convinced Mickey to marry his former girlfriend, Blanche Sweet. He did and left her again. When Gloria bought the Crescent Drive mansion King Chalette had built for his sister, it was with the thought that she and Mickey would marry and live there together. During that time, she also adopted a boy who was called Sonny and who she renamed Joseph after her father. And actually, he was simply called brother by both Glorias. Next was actor Rod LaRocque. Gloria and Rod starred together in A Society Scandal and they played lovers in front of the camera and fell for each other very quickly. It was after only one week that Rod proposed to her. But they fell out of love very quickly as well as Gloria loved to be around other people and get to know things about the world. But Rod did not want to share his wife with other men, even if it was only for conversation and knowledge. So they became rather really good friends like brother and sister. But then Gloria went to France and husband number three came along. That was Henri de la Falaise de la Coutraille. Henri was Gloria's interpreter during her filming of Madame Zangène in Paris, as Gloria did not speak one single word of French. Gloria was absolutely deliriously happy with him and unfortunately got pregnant before the wedding. With the morals clause in her contract and Henri being an impoverished nobleman, Gloria had no other option, or so she thought, to have an abortion, which was the one thing she would regret throughout her life. She did not tell Henri about the pregnancy nor the abortion and had it done the day after her marriage. The abortion, though, went wrong. She got blood poisoning and needed four months of recovery. Nevertheless, Gloria and Henri went back to the US and were quite happy together. But life happened, and so did Joseph P. Kennedy Sr. These two met, as already mentioned, when Gloria desperately needed someone to bring order to her finances and back her movies. Kennedy fell in love very quickly, although he was married with kids. And they started an affair while Gloria was still married to Henri and while he was away in Paris as the director of Pâté. So Gloria led a double life during this time. Joseph's wife knew of his womanizing ways and even sent Cardinal O'Connell of Boston to Gloria to make the affair stop, which infuriated Swanson because the Cardinal was sent to her and not to Kennedy. Henri actually asked for a divorce from Swanson. The moment Swanson got the letter with the request for the divorce, she realized that she actually really loved Henri. Kennedy, on the other hand, left Swanson as soon as he realized she was onto his ways, that he had betrayed her. Henri and Swanson, on the other hand, stayed very close friends, and Swanson got Henri and his fiancée, Emita, out of Nazi beleaguered France to America. In comes husband number four, which was Michael Farmer. 
Gloria Metmichael Farmer in Paris when being fitted for a movie by none other than the great Coco Chanel. He was a very rich, handsome man, and many people say he was just a gigolo, but it doesn't matter, he had money. They had a very steamy affair, and she became pregnant, and so they married. Baby Michelle was the result of this liaison. The marriage did last for two and a half years, with most of them unhappy, as Michael had serious bouts of jealousy and rage. The next man Gloria was in love with was Herbert Marshall. Gloria met him when he was married to wife Edna Best, the mother of his only daughter, and Gloria and he had a relationship that led to them being cut out from Hollywood society. Nobody wanted to touch them, invite them, be associated with them, because they were living in sin. They lived across from each other in Hollywood, and they were quite happy. But Bart started to drink heavily, suffering from the separation from his daughter, who lived with Edna in London. So, Gloria sent him there to make peace with the situation, but he did not return. Instead, he reconciled with his wife. So, what happened? Husband number five happened, of course. That was William Davy. Swanson describes him as affable, well-groomed and rich. And they got married on a very short notice. But Davy was a severe alcoholic and the marriage lasted only one month. So, there's only one husband left. The one she shares the love for health. This is William Dufty. These two got to know each other during a conference in New York relating to an anti-cancer agent. And they met again in 1965, when Gloria was already 66 years old, and they bonded over the love for healthy food. Ten years later, they got married, when he was 60 and Gloria was 77. He wrote the book Sugar Blues, which Gloria helped publicize on a tour throughout the U.S., and she stayed married to William Dufty until her death. So as you can see, Gloria Swanson was a very emotional person. She loved, she loved men, she loved life, she loved to have fun. So I loved this part of the autobiography when everything was linked to the man in her life because it was all one story. But I tried to break it down for you, otherwise I would have had to read the autobiography to you. But... This is not all about Gloria Swanson. There's even more. So there are quite some nuggets in the autobiography which I wanted to share. So the first one, which really came out of the clue, Gloria Swanson was sometimes clairvoyant. So the first incident of that was during the filming of The Admirable Christian when a set worker was gone missing and Gloria had a vision where he was and what he did. And when finally he got back, it happened exactly like she had seen it. He even ate the radishes that she had seen, which is very random. And as this was happening in company with other people there, this is proven to have happened. Also, an avid horsewoman as she was, she had just as clear a premonition as with the set worker about to not ever ride again, as that would be her death. And she never actually did it again because it was so clear to her. And the third time she had such a vision was during the filming of Queen Kelly with Erich von Stroheim, when she checked her makeup in a mirror and involuntarily said, I can't see this picture finished. And it never was by Stroheim. 
the next random thing, a rivalry between Gloria Swanson and Paula Negri was hyped in the gossip magazines. It never existed. Actually, Paula Negri and Gloria Swanson had never met before the gossip magazines picked that up. And Gloria was so fed up with the stories that she invited Negri over for a dinner party, along with Charlie Chaplin, Eileen Pringle, Mickey Nealon, Sam Wood and Lois Wilson. And they all had a wonderful time together. And then there are two things which I found very astounding. So the first is Gloria had a company, not the production company, but another company, and that was called Multiprices. So Gloria had a knack for inventing things. She actually was thinking about functionality of a pager when this was not yet invented and wanted to register a patent for it when it was just shortly before that someone else had filed one for it. And when she moved to New York after having said goodbye to Hollywood, she actively searched for great ideas and wanted to sell luminous paint in America. The inventor, though, was in Nazi Germany. So Gloria Swanson found a way and got five German engineer inventors to America, out of Germany. And that was with the help of former husband Henri de la Falaise. One of the engineers actually invented the process of making buttons out of plastic, which was perfect for the war economy. And the next thing, which might come as a surprise to you too, Gloria Swanson might be the inventor of early shapewear. So Gloria Swanson might be the godmother of Spanx. So when Gloria Swanson was in the early days of her pregnancy with baby Michelle, Swanson asked the House of Chanel to sew surgical elastic into her underpants to make her look slim enough for the shooting of the movie. She describes it as a rubberized undergarment to the knees. So this is a full life. And of course, there are lessons to be learned from this wonderful woman. First, never say never. She said she would never, ever watch another movie again. She said she would never, ever act in a movie again and see where that got her. She became one of the greatest actresses of all times with one of her movies in the Library of Congress. So never say never. Life is too long to ever say such a thing. Second, you have to stand out from the crowd. You have to be unique. You have to be who you are. It doesn't matter your size or shape or face. You are very important, you are unique, and you have to show it. So never settle for the same dress as everybody else. Don't buy the fast fashion. Make sure that you have things on your body that are just the way you want them and that they make you shine. Third, never censor your emotions. Gloria Swanson did love some man very badly. She fell in love easily. She got swept away easily because she just wanted to be loved. She looked for it and she had fun with it. Of course, she felt disappointed at times, but this is what life is all about. You have to totally feel your emotions. You totally have to feel your feelings and just go for it, even if the consequences might not be how you want them to be or if the end is not what you imagine it to be. Just go for it and live life fully. Fourth, Manage your money. <laughs> when it comes to Gloria Swanson, this is the very hard lessons you will learn when reading the autobiography. 
always be the one in control of your finances. Don't trust anybody. Don't trust a man to take care of your affairs. It is your life. It is your responsibility. And it is your joy to bring to the world with the money you have. So just, you know, do your job, do that. And don't trust other people with your hard-earned money. Because Gloria worked very hard and seen her kids very little, but she had no money to show for it. The last one is sometimes you need to pivot <laughs> and you have to find other ways. And sometimes you have to do things that scare you. When the movie roles tried up, Gloria Swanson turned to radio and stage work, although she never wanted to do stage work. But as I said, never said never, she did it. And she learned that she loved it. Also, she did television, although she had decided that this is not a great medium. So she just did what was available, what was fun for her, and what made sense to her at that very time. And also, another lesson, keep an open mind. Just because you're successful in one line of work, you don't have to limit yourself to that. See, with her, she was a very gifted and very successful actress. She became a producer, but she also became an inventor and also the godmother of Spanx. So this is a very colorful life, and I hope you had fun listening to it. I think this lady is absolutely phenomenal. So... I hope you have a wonderful week and I definitely hope you're enjoying this Christmas time and I can't wait to talk to you next week. Bye.